In episode 20 of Mosin at Large, how easy is it to get a refund from Apple's App Store and should it be easier? Brexit has happened, but impeachments will not. We look at some of the historic events of this week. Plenty of tech chat and questions and discussion and big changes ahead potentially for guide dog handlers in the US. If you would like to contribute, well, we certainly appreciate that. Jonathan at MushroomFM.com is the email address. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at MushroomFM.com. You can attach an audio clip if you would like, or you can just write something down. And you can also call the listener line. That number is in the United States, 864-60-MOSIN. That's 864-606-6736. And we're building a real community around the Mosin at Large podcast. I appreciate that. Everybody tuning in, the numbers continue to grow. And one thing you can really do that would help a lot, because we're never going to try charging for this podcast or anything like that, but it's fun to get out there and reach people. If you like the podcast, if there's something here that entertains or informs you or both, even makes you think and gets you a little bit grumpy from time to time, but you listen anyway, then please do tell your friends about it. Jump on social media and tell people about the Mosin at Large podcast if you're listening with an app that provides for reviews of a podcast. I would just be so grateful for a five-star review. Word of mouth really does help a podcast like this, and I appreciate you spreading the word if you feel inclined to do that. A topic I thought we would start off with, I would really like some feedback on. You may recall that a few years ago now, can't remember quite how many years, was it seven or so? The National Federation of the Blind, the National Federation of the Blind, uh, had a resolution at its convention. Of course, resolution time at these conventions is always interesting, particularly with the NFB, because they tend to have some really contentious resolutions that come up. Not to say that ACB is immune from contentious resolutions, but uh, there certainly seem to be a lot of resolutions and the way that NFB does them, they tend to be all grouped together so you know it's going to be resolution time and everybody tunes in and then people who didn't go to the convention feel they have a sort of a right to second guess the debates on the convention floor and have their own little convention using the hashtag of the moment. And you may remember that a few years ago, there was a resolution that suggested that all apps in the App Store should be accessible. And people rightly said, well, there are certain apps that it would be very difficult to have that happen. And some of us said, well, accessibility should be the default position. And then if there is an inherently visual reason for not doing it because of what the app does, then you might have an exemption. One of the things I think it would be very easy to do, though, would be for the App Store to have a rating, even a simple, well, maybe not a simple yes, no, because sometimes accessibility is a bit nuanced. There's an app I want to talk about a little bit later that I can use. But if I gave it to somebody who is a fairly new iOS user or just doesn't feel competent with iOS, the nature of the labeling of the app would mean that it could be a bit challenging for some people. So I realize that sometimes accessibility isn't a blanket. Yes, it's accessible. No, it's not. It's a bit nuanced. But Apple does not allow you as an app developer to just submit your app to the App Store and off it goes. There's a review process. And sometimes the review process can be pretty tricky to get past. They sort of fixate on certain issues and You can appeal, and sometimes your appeal is successful as a developer, and sometimes it's not. So there is a delay. 
between when you submit an app to the App Store and when it gets published to the mere mortals like us, assuming you are not a developer, because it goes through this review process. Why can we not have a flag that is set as part of that testing process? And I'm sure there's some automation about the testing process that Apple puts apps through, but I also know there's a lot of manual review as well. So why can't we have some sort of accessibility rating system? And that way, when you go and look at an app or you read about an app in some tech publication, you'd go to the App Store and you'd look at the accessibility rating as determined by Apple. And if you really wanted to try the app, you could, and maybe you would have a different view from Apple, and maybe there'd be a way of sort of crowdsourcing the accessibility thing a little bit. But anyway, there's no real word of accessibility in the App Store. Mindful of this, I try apps from time to time that I read about in places. For a few years, if an app hasn't been accessible, I've kind of shrugged my shoulders and thought, oh, you know, it's only whatever, 99 cents or $2 or $4. Sometimes if an app's really expensive, I do think. And then over the summer, I bought a bundle of apps I think they were relating to carb counting and fasting and things I was really focusing on at the time over my summer break. And I think it was about a $16 app that had iOS and watch apps in a bundle. I don't often buy app bundles, but none of these apps were accessible. So I familiarized myself again with what you do to ask Apple to refund you in that situation. The, the, the great decision makers look at your application for a refund and they say, we'll give you a decision in 48 hours. Well, the first time I did this, it actually worked. Within about 24 hours, I got an email back and they don't make it easy. All the email says is we've made a decision about your refund application. If you want to find out what we decided, then click here. If you have been given a refund, though I think you get a, a refund receipt, but receipts have been a bit hit and miss for me with Apple for some months now. I see they seem to be coming back now. Anyway, you click on the link, the reporterproblem.apple.com thing, and you log in, and then you are um, given your decision. Now, the first time I did this with this bundle of Apple Watch apps, that worked, and I got my refund back the first time. And then I thought to myself... Why aren't I doing this more often, really? Because presumably the developer gets notified that the app was refunded. And maybe if I put a, a reason for the app being refunded, maybe they get told that. I don't know. But I'm thinking, you know, why am I? It all adds up, right? All these, all these little purchases. Why am I just letting it go when an app isn't accessible? Why, why should I reward this developer? If it's an app that's really important to me, and if there's a couple of minor things, then I will try and contact the developer. And of course, that's one of the dangers too. If you contact the developer and wait for a response, maybe Apple will decide you had the app too long before you sought a refund, even though in good faith, you were trying to get your refund. So when I bought the next app that wasn't accessible, and I think it was like a four New Zealand dollar app, I thought I'll just apply for the refund. So I logged into reporterproblem.apple.com and I chose other and I explained I'm a blind person. The app is totally unusable by me with voiceover. I've deleted it from my device. Please refund me. Thank you. And then within about 24 hours, I got an email. We've got your decision. I logged back in and it said 
declined. And I thought to myself, what? How are they going to decline me? Why are they declining me when it's a legitimate reason the app is inaccessible? They said, uh, this, this, this purchase is not eligible for a refund, but you can review the decision if you want. We can review it if you ask us to. So I pushed the review decision button and I had a little edit box of a few, I think it was 4,000 characters where I had to justify to Apple why I should get my $4 back. And I explained this, that I couldn't use the app at all, that I was a voiceover user, the things that I actually said in my original thing and I submitted it. And then within another probably 24 hours, I got my money back. Well, this just happened again to me this week. I bought an app. It was an alternative user interface to Sonos, and I always like checking these things out, and it was totally inaccessible, just completely unusable. And since I already have a free Sonos app and a few other alternative Sonos apps, I thought, okay, I'm just going to get a refund. And yet again, I got the, no, we're not going to refund you, but you can review it. And so I had them review it, and they came back finally and refunded my money. And my question is, are you having this problem? Do you go to Apple and ask for a refund when you get an inaccessible app? And are they being this difficult to you? I think there is a real problem with this. And this is an area where Android simply eats Apple's lunch. It is so much easier to get a refund from the Google ecosystem than the Apple ecosystem. And it really shouldn't be this way. Apple knows when you have voiceover switched on. I suppose they could argue, well, anybody could just turn on voiceover and, you know, demand a refund. But really, what actually is the problem with any user requesting an automated refund in a given period? If they don't like the app, if there can be a system where the app can be deleted from your account and removed from your device through an automated refund process that should be built in, to the App Store app, what actually is the problem with anybody, blind or sighted, exercising a right over, say, 72 or 48 hour period to get your money back? It's an extraordinary, unfriendly, difficult, convoluted experience. And if you are a fairly novice voiceover user who finds the report a problem website difficult, what are you going to do? It actually discriminates twice. First, that they put you through these hoops as a blind person to get a refund for an inaccessible app, no fault of yours. And second, that if you're less proficient than somebody else, you might struggle. I would be very keen to learn about other people's experiences with this whole refund process. I think for a company of Apple's size and technical prowess, the hoops they make us go through are totally unacceptable. DJ Z-Man is on touch on the Twitter and says, these hoops are among the reasons I am considering switching to Android. Well, all I can say is try it before you buy it. <laughs> because in my view, Android still provides a far inferior accessibility experience. And it may well depend on your requirements. But gosh, there's a lot of apps that I would miss if I switched, I would also miss the really good Braille support and the multi-touch. For me, the fundamental reason why I could not switch to Android at the moment is the fact that they don't allow you to assign multi-touch talkback gestures. So you can buy 
a nice, expensive, top-of-the-line Android phone and be stuck with these weird, angular, convoluted talkback gestures because a developer somewhere in Google land has seen fit not to give you access to multi-touch. It really is not a very good UX, as they say in the business. Not a good user experience. But your Braille still has uh, a long way to go and various other factors as well. Also, I think I just get a bit creeped out by some of the Android stuff. I mentioned this on last week's show, didn't I? That I was conflicted about the good experience I was getting with Google search and my misgivings. Well, this week I took the plunge. I went in and I deleted my entire Google history. It was liberating. And then I switched all my devices to searching with DuckDuckGo. I deleted Google Maps from my iPhone after having deleted all the location history and switched to Apple Maps, which has got better. I do think that Google Maps is still probably the superior app, although I see that in the United States they've just come out with a reworked Apple Maps app that's not available to everybody else yet. And that's the thing. I mean, Google has just done such a good job with mapping a lot of the world, haven't they? But I'm going to see how I go. I may well have to revert and go back to using Google Maps, but we'll see about that. But I'm enjoying searching with DuckDuckGo. I really am. It seems to be every bit as good, possibly a little better in certain situations than Google. And it's nice to know they're not recording every search. So that's another thing that I would take into consideration And, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody in my work, in fact, who liked the Android experience. He said, ah, my hardware is better than your hardware, you know, when I showed him my fancy new iPhone. But then is actually coming around to saying I'm switching to Apple because with Google, you, the customer, are the product. It really does make me a bit nervous. Hey, Jonathan, Nick Zamorelli here. It's uh, good to be back with you again. Good to have you back last week. As I said in my email, we, we missed you. I have a question and a story that you just won't believe. My question is, with Brexit now complete, is that going to have any effect on you all over there, given that you are under British rule? I guess that's not the right way to put it, but British government is your government, apparently. So what's going to happen for you guys, if anything? Oh, well, let me pause you and um, correct the record, as they say. No, the British government is not our government. New Zealand is a member of the British Commonwealth. And just like Australia, like Canada, for that matter, and many other countries. How many are there in the the Commonwealth now? Soup drinker. How many countries are in the British Commonwealth? 53 UN-recognized countries are the members of the Commonwealth. Right. So those countries generally have the Queen as their head of state. Not all. Some of them have kind of uh, moved along. And in New Zealand, the Queen is represented by the Governor General. But no, the British government, I'm pleased to say, has nothing to do with us. (laughs) Uh, We have our own Prime Minister. Her name is Jacinda Ardern. And she is turning 40 this year. Life begins at 40, Jacinda. And she's been Prime Minister for three years. Uh, She is at the complete opposite of the political spectrum from Boris. So no, we have no connection whatsoever with the British government other than we we have some links of old with Britain and we want a greater trading relationship. So we are interested in exploring potential better trading relationships as a result of the Brexit change. 
But no, we're we're an independent nation who happens to be part of the Commonwealth and therefore have the Queen as our head of state. But that's purely really a, a ceremonial function. Very interesting. Yes, it is. And now, Him. I wish I had some reverb for this. Oh, well, there you go. For the worst lift story the ever. The worst lift story. You won't believe it. I was on my way to work the other day. And just a little background for those who don't know. I'm a public school music teacher in the town of Coventry, Rhode Island, which is also where I live. And I'm in two buildings, but I'm in one building only one day a week on Thursdays. I have to go from my regular building to this other building where I used to spend most of my time. And I was in a lift, as always, and Google Maps often tends to lead Lyft and Uber drivers and other people alike astray, trying to drop us off on a cul-de-sac adjacent to the school. You can see the school from the cul-de-sac, but there's no way to gain entry from there. So if you get all the way there, you have to go all the way back around. And I could tell that this was about to happen. And I said to the driver, is it telling you to turn on this particular street? And he said, yes. And I said, well, turn around. And he said, what do you mean turn around? I said, you're going the wrong way. I said, it's Google, it's a Google maps thing. And you got to turn around because if not, you're going to drop me off in the wrong place. And he said, we're only a minute away. And I said, sir, you got to turn around. Trust me. You you just got to turn around. And he (laughs) said, I'm not going to turn around. I've been doing this for five months. I said, sir, I've been doing this every week for years, I'm telling you, you've got to turn around. To which he responded, and this is a direct quote, good, because I'm not picking you up again. He did eventually turn around, get me where I needed to go, and I proceeded to give him a one-star rating on the Lyft app, and in the comments, I just absolutely lambasted him because... It was absolutely the worst customer experience I've ever had in an Uber or Lyft. And the moral is, if you're in one of these rideshare services and you know for a fact that you're going the wrong way, you got to stick to your guns. Obviously, you got to be very careful because you don't want him trying to drop you off on the side of the road. But it's something that you just have to really be careful of, and it bears watching. Thank you, Nick. And the scary thing about this is that he probably rated you one star as well. And that's the thing about these ride-sharing services is that there's a reciprocity of rating ability. So I look at my Uber ride rating quite a bit to see how it's going. I'm at 4.96 now. I'm pretty sure I know why I'm not five star because I had one ride where the driver was just a complete nit. And in that case, they can rate you one star and affect your rating. Now, there is a difference between Uber and Lyft. We don't have Lyft in New Zealand. They're not operating here. But I do know that if you rate a driver with Lyft below, I believe it is three stars. So if you give them a one or two star rating, the algorithm ensures that you are never paired with that driver again. And I think it works the same way for Lyft drivers. If they rate you that low, then they won't be paired with you again either. So that's something. With Uber, it doesn't work that way. 
there is a myth that it does because people think that Lyft and Uber work the same way, but it does not. If you don't want to be paired with an Uber driver again, you have to make a support request and ask for that to happen. I got on the Uber subreddit and it really was an eye opener because the contempt with which some of these drivers treat their passengers and the whole experience is quite an eye-opener. It's quite shocking. And I suppose you can argue, well, you know what those guys get paid? Maybe that's part of the reason for it. But yeah, it's it's quite revealing looking at that uh, Uber subreddit. And they're pretty fixated with tips. And of course, in New Zealand, we don't tip. Uber got really lambasted big time for introducing tipping into New Zealand when tipping is not in our culture. We do not tip here. We don't. So when they tried to introduce tipping here in New Zealand, uh, even the Prime Minister got involved and said how inappropriate it was to introduce tipping into New Zealand. But yes, it's uh, it, it can happen with anybody who drives you, can't it? It can happen with taxi drivers as well who think that they know better than you. I guess the good thing is, at least with a ride-sharing service that has a rating system, you can express your displeasure. With a taxi, you sort of, you're on your merry way, and you know, that's, that's generally the end of the matter. Hey, Jonathan, this is Jim from Gainesville, Florida. I hope you are well. I am. hope you are uh, too. I wanted to just comment on the iPhone. I've noticed when I do the Touch ID on the 7 Plus, I hear the click. As I push my home button, and then it says, sort of like that. When I after I make my request, you unlock your iPhone first. So why am I hearing the click and then being told that I need to do it once again? So then I just touch my finger to the finger screen area of the phone, and it unlocks, and then I have to do things all over again. Thanks for that report. It's not something that I've seen. I've got the 11 Pro Max with Face ID, and I don't believe I've come across that one with Face ID. But it sounds like a bug, potentially. It sounds like a bug. And, of course, there's a new iOS that came out this week, a tiny little number incremental update. The thing that I'm fascinated by is that they still haven't fixed that really horrible bug to do with the repeating notifications. Because if you're wandering around, which I do sometimes, I leave the phone charging and I can wander around and do some things, especially in the morning, and listen to something on my iPhone, but I don't have it with me. And, and the, the iPhone's going to my Bluetooth, Bluetooth hearing aids. And then you get a notification and it repeats over and over. Every minute it repeats. And you have to go to the phone and dismiss the notification. That is a horrible bug. And here we are. iOS 13 was released in September. We're now into February. And that bug still hasn't been addressed. Mosin at Large Podcast. Hey, Jonathan, just listened to your podcast from the 25th and enjoyed it as usual. Thank you. I do have a response to your wallet problem. Oh, yes. I, in fact, have an iPhone 11, and I buy wallet cases. Um, Some of them are portfolio, but I usually just have a wallet case. It costs me $11, and I carry my ID, a credit card, I also have a disability placard on, in the car that my wife drives, which is in there. It's a piece of paper. And I think you can get another card in there as well. But it just pops out when I need it, and I never have to take my wallet. If I just need some cash, I just put some cash in my pocket, 
And that's the end of the whole problem. I don't know why more people don't use these wallet cases. They're very efficient. They, you know, they cheat charge. Um, some of them do, some of them don't. The last one I had was from Incipio. It was called the Stowaway, which they had seemed to have not uh, updated to the 11s yet. I'm waiting for that one because it's a really nice, supportive, and protective case. But the one I have is quite nice, quite cheap, and quite effective. So just another alternative idea for you and your listeners to think about. So what you are saying is that you take this beautiful, aesthetically gorgeous device. It's the best phone we've ever made. Every contour, every smooth surface, every rubber-dubby little bump on the back of the camera has been carefully thought about and discussed ad nauseum at meetings. And you take this gorgeous work of art, and you cover it up. You cover up its nakedness and obscure the way God himself, well, Tim Cook, which is the same thing, intended it by covering it up in a case. Sacrilege. Sacrilege. Thank you for the tip. And maybe there will be people who want to cover their devices up with some sacrilegious case in that way. Wouldn't do for me. But we live in a diverse world. Now, Gino J's back again, and he says, I am using Microsoft Edge, and favorites work fine there. But I am confused, he says, on how to install some of the extensions I use in Chrome, in particular, the Zoom text add-on that inverts photos. I can't seem to figure out how to get it or enable it in Edge. Okay, Gino. What you do is you go to the file menu of the new Chromium Microsoft Edge, which is a fantastic browser, efficient on resources, nice and fast to load. I love that browser. Go in there and then go into, I believe it's extensions from that menu. And in there, there's a checkbox that says enable extensions from other stores. When you check that box to enable it, you can then simply go to your regular Google Chrome store, find the extension you want, and there'll be the usual button that says Add to Chrome. And you'll see that button come up even when you're in Edge. And you choose that. You'll, you, you might have to possibly sign in with your Google account. And instead of adding to Chrome, because you're in Edge, it adds to Edge. And it's as simple as that. I'm using quite a lot of Chrome extensions this way. And uh, Sarah Hillis says, what do you use to read Reddit? I've heard it's not the most accessible experience. There's a podcast from Boston's NPR station called Endless Thread, all about stories found on Reddit. It's fun. I love Reddit. I really do. Well, there are a couple of things you can do. One is you can install an app called Dystopia. Dystopia has been written by a young guy. I think he's about 17 or 18. And he decided that there was a lack of good quality accessibility experiences for Reddit on iOS. And so he created one himself. And he's been working with the blind community to fine tune this for quite some time. And the only way that you can get it is to install it from test flight. You have to install the test flight builds. And I will try to provide a link in the show notes of the podcast to the Dystopia test flight build. It's a public build. 
I do wonder whether he's ever going to release the thing. I mean, he's been testing it for a long, long time, and there seems to be, I don't know, some reluctance to, to actually release it to the full app store. Even if that project falls over, there are a couple of really good Reddit clients that are out there, not quite as efficient. So at the moment, I stick with Dystopia because it's efficient and I like that kind of thing. But even if it all falls over, there are a couple of other really good Reddit clients for iOS. One is called Bacon Reader, of all things. That is one word, Bacon Reader. And you can get that in the App Store. I'll put a link to it in the show notes of the podcast as well. And another one's called Apollo. And Apollo has just come out with a really big update this week with a lot of new features. That's accessible too. Doing it on iOS with any of those apps is a really good experience. And I'm enjoying Reddit a lot. I'm on a lot of subreddits. One on ketogenic eating, which is quite supportive. A few on podcasting and podcasting techniques. One on fasting. One on meditation. What else do I I do? The Sonos one, which of course went completely ape about a week and a half ago when Sonos did their big thing. And quite a few other. The Uber one, which is the only one where I can honestly say the culture on there is terrible. (laughs) There's uh, a blind and a deaf blind uh, Reddit uh, subreddit. Uh, They're pretty quiet. So there's a lot of very good stuff on Reddit. I I am enjoying it a lot. It's certainly much more conducive to learning things and decent discourse than, say, Facebook, which I hardly look at at all now. Kathy Blackburn is in Austin, Texas. I'm enjoying listening to the show, she says. Flatterer. (laughs) Sometimes, she says, when my Windows laptop starts up, My screen reader says, like what you see, I'm totally blind. So this question has no answer. (laughs) Is there a way to turn off this question? This relates to the screen saver that you see on the screen when you log in and you're at that sort of standby screen. And there are various ways to bypass it altogether on my Windows PC in the studio here, for example, I don't even have to press anything to get to the password prompt when it boots up. It just goes straight there. And there's a way to do this in newer versions of Windows 10. Off the top of my head, since you've just sent this email in, Kathy, I can't remember the steps, but it is doable. And probably a search will tell you how to bypass that and just get straight to the password prompt. Dan Fry says, I am appalled, he says, by our Senate's performance with regards to the sham impeachment trial. I feel so disempowered and unable as an individual to improve the institutional failures of this system. I can only hope that this Trump era is an anomaly and I trust that a sense of normalcy will return when he leaves the political scene either by losing this election or finishing his second term. The thing is, you know, Dan, no matter when he is out of office and how, uh, he'll be around exerting influence. You know, he'll he'll start his own network of some kind, and uh, he'll be he'll be around. Um, you know, unless he's not being completely discredited to his base, uh, he will be an influence for a long time to come. I fear. I just experienced my first true retail political experience here in New Hampshire, says Dan where a Sanders campaign representative knocked on my house door and wanted to talk to me about casting my vote in the primary on February 
the eleventh. Yeah, I mean, it would be amazing to be in one of those key states like Iowa or New Hampshire, or, you know, one of those ones where you really do have influence on the race. It's such an unfair system, though, isn't it? Because those safe states that are in one column or the other, and it's just totally unlikely that they'll ever shift, get very scant attention. That's why I think abolish the Electoral College, it's an anachronism, and replace it with a national primary. So you have a lot of campaigning around the country, have a national primary where everybody votes on the same day who's registered with a given political party, and you've got your nominee. No convention, just have a national primary and then a national election. Abolish the Electoral College. Because, let's not forget, that well over 3 million more Americans wanted Hillary Clinton to be president in 2016. Record. Oh, recording. Pause button. Pause button. Hey, Jonathan, that's Mike Fair. There we go. I tend to, if I'm going to return an app, it now depends on the circumstances. If I intend to try and you know make a case for developers to uh, make this app accessible I will try to contact that developer I'll either go through Google and look them up on the on the web which is I think sometimes easier pr- presuming there's a contact at all sometimes there's no contactability at all that I've been able to find and you're just stuck uh, especially if you can't get in and access the feedback thing within the app. When you get your receipt, it, which is an email message, you, you get one after any purchase you make through Apple, you go into that, there's a link right in the email saying report a problem. You uh, click on that link, go that, that, to that uh, site that it takes you to. You can then sign in with your Apple ID. Usually I have to do that. I've had uh, that happen. And then if I just want the app to go away and to get my money back. What I will typically typically do at this point is choose bought by mistake. And usually I get my money back. I've never had them deny me my money back that I can remember. And I've returned a lot of apps. So hope that helps people. Bye for now. Well, I suppose it does to some degree, Michael, but I think that's disingenuous. The first thing I would say is that there has been a problem, and I've seen this on Reddit, I've seen it uh, in, in many places where a lot of people haven't been receiving Apple receipts, and I haven't. I haven't. I went through probably a three or four month period where I didn't get a single receipt from Apple, and only just now they're starting to appear again. So it's a known bug. But nevertheless, whether you manually go to reportaproblem.apple.com or whether you click the link in a receipt, if you're lucky enough to get one, you do get to the same place. The problem I have with going into bought by mistake is it's not true. I mean, I I didn't buy it by mistake. I bought it because I wanted to use the app and I can't use the app because of an accessibility issue. And I think that actually we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we just take the road that says, oh, how am I going to get my money back quickest? Because I think Apple needs to know that there is this issue and Apple needs to better provide for a framework where people can get their money back. And if we disguise it, if we hide the data by using the report, the bought by mistake option, I'm not sure that helps us. So I, I would disagree with that strategy. I wish Apple would just come up with a better way of dealing with this issue. You shouldn't even have to go to a website. You should be able to go to the App Store within a window that's public, that's agreed, 24, 48 hours, Go to your recently purchased page and there should just be a button for each app within that 48-hour window, refund button. You press it, it gets deleted from your phone, from all your devices, it's gone and your money's back. Why can't we have that? I can't think of any plausible reason. If Android can do it, why the heck can't Apple? 
and here's Darren Pascoe, and he says, Greetings from post-Brexit London. Re-app accessibility, my bank recently released an app update which broke the payments screen with voiceover. Wonder if integrating some automated accessibility testing into the app approval process would help. I wonder that too, Darren. I really do. I, I think there are many things that Apple could do with the resources available at their disposal, QA and testing being what it is, to improve this situation. Christopher Duffley, the well-known pronunciation error. (laughs) Christopher Duffley says, I agree with what Darren said. There's definitely a way to do accessibility audits using Xcode. Of course there is. Here's Ian Lackey. Ian Lackey. Welcome to you, Ian. And the first thing before I read Ian's tweet is to say thank you for recommending the podcast that you recommended last week. And if you weren't listening last week, I shall tell you about it now. It's called American Election Wicked Game. Might be elections, plural. American Elections Wicked Game. It's a history of every election from the first one in 1789 when George Washington was elected unopposed. And it's going to go all the way through to the 2020 election. So each election has its own podcast. It's kind of in the middle between a professionally produced podcast and an amateur one. It's got its own little music. I personally find all the background dramatic music in podcasts annoying. You know, the the kind of music people put in as if you're listening to a movie. But anyway, to each their own. I see some providers are now offering music-free versions. So I'm obviously not the only one who feels this way. And you've got to get past a few really weird things about this podcast, this series. Uh, The enactments are quite wooden. (laughs) And also there are some horrible grammatical errors and there are some pronunciation errors. So they pronounce short-lived as short-lived and various other things. That said, it's a fascinating insight into the elections and the way that the electoral system has evolved in the United States, that campaigning has evolved, that politics has evolved. So thank you very much. It's a really good listen. And I've um, heard from a number of people who got your recommendation through this show last week, and who are loving it as well. American Election, Wicked Game. Really good. I've been rocking that with Castro all week. Also, from that podcast, they were advertising another one, which I'm also listening to now on Castro. And that is called, um, that's called, So You Wanna Be President! Yeah, it's hosted by Chris Matthews of Hardball fame. You'll know him if you're in the United States, I'm sure. So you want to be president with Chris Matthews. Man, who'd want to be his audio engineer? You probably want to have his levels set to like negative one on the board because he's just so loud. I can, you can hear that he's loud. Anyway, it's a very good thing. And I, I've, I've listened to the first episode where he's talking about Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter from 1976. Jimmy Carter. Yeah, it's good. So you want to be president. You can get that wherever you get your podcasts as well. Ian Lackey says, I have often found that a number of days can elapse before I receive an email receipt from Apple. Yes, that is absolutely true. And if you take long enough to request the refund, you can sort of understand why they might be a bit reluctant then. I think, though, that if you request a refund 
within just a few minutes of getting the app because you know it's hopeless and you don't care enough to invest the time. You know, I, I think I think it's actually, that's another thing I wanted to comment on about Mike's message. I think it is a little bit rich if anybody from Apple says, did you contact the developer to try and resolve this? Why should you? If it's not fit for your purpose, sure, if you care enough, if you have the time, and not everybody does have the time, more to the point, if you can articulate what's wrong, and not everybody can do that either, then by all means, go for it. And there are some apps that are so important to me or I really want to use them that I will have dialogue with the developer. But in the end, if it's not fit for purpose, for the purpose I bought it for, which is to use it with voiceover, Apple should have a simple mechanism to refund me, no questions asked. And Ian also says, we are feeling a bit low after 11 o'clock last night. I'm going to talk about this at length very shortly, Ian, but of course he's referring to the exit of the United Kingdom from the EU. Before we get to that, Brian Gaff says, so have you also removed Baker Street from your phone then? Of course, this is the code word I give to Google Assistant. And I must confess, I have not. And that's the thing. With Google Assistant, it just knows so much stuff, doesn't it? And to be fair, I don't think there's that much difference between what Google's connecting from you in terms of um, data, your voice queries and things, than what the others are, including Apple, though Apple's sort of tightened up a bit. But, you know, Amazon Echo is in a pretty similar predicament. I read an article recently that says that it looks like Amazon is actually collecting data on every tap, every tap you make on a Kindle device. Man, imagine that. Incidentally, says Brian, I am using a search engine called startpage.com. I've heard of that. That claims to be pretty secret and secure as well. With regard to Edge, it actually works on Windows 7 as well. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? They released an Edge for Windows 7, the, the new version, even though they've stopped supporting Windows 7 now. What a week it has been, eh? What a week. Long after we're dead and gone, assuming life goes on after us and our species isn't blowing up the planet or something, historians will be studying the events of this week and the kids will be learning about them in what was my favourite school subject, history. I loved history as a high school kid and I still love it now because history teaches us where we've come from. As riveting as any good work of fiction History's full of larger-than-life characters who created change, some for better, some not. As a high school kid, I studied with rapture the stories of the First World War, the Treaty of Versailles, a company with demands to squeeze the German orange until the pips squeak, and the rise of Hitler, fascism, Nazism, and, of course, the atrocity that was the Holocaust. I would come home from school and discuss what I'd learned and, like most people, find out about family members who had served, some of whom who had never come home from those wars. I learned about the European economic community, how France had initially blocked Britain's entry and how, once Britain was finally allowed into the club, it sent our economy here in New Zealand into a tailspin because Britain would no longer take everything we didn't export to anywhere else. As someone who follows politics from around the world in the same way that some people are sports fanatics, I've watched over the years 
as the European project's scope began to widen, expanding well beyond the original concept of an economic community, when public sentiment and internal party conflict in the Tories finally prompted David Cameron to commit to an in-out referendum on whether Britain would remain in or leave the European Union, I read vociferously, watched the debates and was glued to the coverage on the 23rd of June 2016. The parliamentary shenanigans after that, complete with many larger-than-life characters, have been enthralling. I'm normally not an equivocal person, but I don't know how I would have voted if I were living in Britain. On the one hand, as you will have heard if you've listened to the In the Arena series about my life and work, I fought the establishment on principles of self-determination. Political sovereignty is fundamental to good governance. You have to be able to express a verdict on the laws with which you must comply and those who govern must be held accountable by the governed. Simple as that. On the other hand, I'm enough of a realist to, of course, acknowledge the era of peace and cooperation that's been brought in on a continent that has been full of epic and violent historical struggle for centuries, a continent that many Brits, Commonwealth members, Americans and others have defended at huge cost including the highest price of all, many lives. Racism is utterly repugnant, and the Brexit movement attracted some racist elements, but that doesn't mean that all who advocated for it are racists. As I say, sovereignty is a very compelling argument, an argument that's gaining traction in other EU countries. It really will be interesting to observe whether Brexit serves as inspiration to other countries or whether the difficulty that Britain has had extracting itself might serve as a bit of a disincentive for the people to take it on in other jurisdictions. So when I watched the European Parliament debating the withdrawal agreement this week, I found it spine-tingling. I knew I really was watching history, a moment that will have consequences we can't yet predict or foresee. Their singing of Old Lang Syne after the passage of the agreement was deeply moving. Like it or loathe it, Brexit wouldn't have happened without Nigel Farage, like him or loathe him. Despite the British first-past-the-post system denying the parties he led anything but a minuscule and utterly disproportionate representation in the House of Commons, Nigel Farage took on the establishment and created sufficient momentum that the Conservatives knew that they had to burst the bubble by agreeing to a referendum or risk Labour and the Lib Dems coming through the middle in constituencies where the Conservative and UKIP votes would have been split. So Brexit was masterminded by a man who never made it to Westminster, yet is the most influential British politician of a generation. As a kid, we also studied American history. I was entranced by the three-letter heroes, FDR, who said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, who talked intimately with people via fireside chats through the newfangled medium of radio, and who constructed a complex series of government programs to pull the country and the world out of the Great Depression, the man who referred to the Supreme Court as the nine old men and tried to take them on. JFK, the young president who said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, and who was gunned down seemingly in his prime. 
LBJ, the southerner who tackled its shocking legacy of segregation, but who was undone by the quagmire of Vietnam. And MLK, who had a dream and inspired me as a young wannabe blind activist. I was obsessed with Watergate. I'd read any book I could find in the Braille and Talking Book Library about it. I can still remember, actually, as a five-year-old hearing Richard Nixon's resignation speech. I'd watch documentaries and listen to interviews. What impressed me about Watergate was that it showed that the intricate political system designed by the constitutional watchmakers known as the Founding Fathers worked. In the end, Watergate proved that presidential power is not absolute and that when faced with a solemn civic and constitutional responsibility, legislators stepped up and did the right thing. There is no doubt at all that Nixon would have been both impeached and convicted had he not fallen on his sword first. The system worked. Even in the more partisan and salacious Clinton impeachment, the Senate stepped up, recognised its role as a court, did what needed to be done and called witnesses. Now America's constitution and reputation is in utter tatters. There's still a bit of idealistic young history student that lives on in me, and seeing what has become of America breaks my heart. Despite an increasing drip, drip, drip of evidence about abuse of power, allegedly even known about by one of the lawyers representing the president at the impeachment trial, the Senate isn't even gathering the evidence it needs to render an informed verdict. The verdict was, of course, never in doubt, but the blatant refusal to execute fully and responsibly One of the most sacred obligations the Constitution bestows on the Senate will leave a taint and an acrid stench that will have very serious repercussions. America's moral authority to criticise tin-pot dictators and countries like China that sometimes dispense sham justice has vanished. So what do these two things, Brexit and the Senate's dereliction of duty, have in common other than two big moments in history happening in the one week. Simply that the lesson of one teaches us how to fix the other. Opinion polls consistently show that over 70% of Americans want the US Senate to do its job and call witnesses. In politics, it's rare these days to see such a majority expressing a view on anything. Now that a constitutional outrage is being perpetrated, people feel frustrated and helpless. To those people, I say, remember Nigel Farage. Whether you agree with what he did or you don't, what he teaches us is that with tenacity, any citizen can start a movement and make change. When you shrug your shoulders and think, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm too small to change things, you are complicit in their outrageous behaviour. They have power because the people gave it to them. The people can take it back. I believe in, and I believe am testimony to, in fact, the power of all of us to make change by getting involved and not accepting a mediocre world as it is. It's an election year in America. Boy, am I looking forward to the Iowa caucuses. So if you think it's important that presidential power not be absolute, if you think the founding fathers would be turning in their graves, 
If you think sham justice isn't the American way, regardless of your political persuasion, find a candidate with integrity and guts and work your guts out for them. Help restore your country to one that once had the respect of people around the world and that kids in history classes like mine once looked up to. In the end, you will decide whether this moment in time is a disgraceful glitch in American history like McCarthyism, or whether this week began the inexorable decline of the great American ideal. The choice, in the end, rests with Americans and this is your test. Mosin at Large Podcast. To the email we go, and here's Floor Lynch in Ireland. Welcome to Floor. He says, I listened to your Castro special, and I'm currently trialing it free. Free. See, free is good. I don't know that I will purchase it, however, as the annual subscription of 18 euros and 99 euro cents seems steep to me, especially as I already have a paid one-off and very good podcast player app. It's called RSS Radio. RSS Radio. Ever heard of it? I have heard of it, actually, but I'd never tried it until I got your email floor. He says it actually is free with not much advertising, but I decided to purchase the full advert-free app so I can support the developer. Floor continues, I've also tried Overcast and like it. And I like how David Armani, is that the developer's name? No, the developer of Overcast is Marco Armand, has implemented its settings and features. I've also tried Downcast. But in the end, says Floor, Overcast is, in my view, the best of these two players. I do listen to a lot of podcasts, maybe spend too much time doing so, even at faster speeds. RSS Radio has what's called silence skip, which is equivalent to smart speed in Overcast, and it's available in the free version. Nearly all of its features are, in fact, available in the free version. It also has an audio compressor where the balance is adjustable by percentage. Uh, Thank you, Floor. That's a very comprehensive review there of RSS Radio, and it's been around a while, that app. I was uh, skimming through and see it's been around for a while. And I did download it, and I did have a play with it. When I downloaded Castro, I was just sort of curious, and I didn't really expect that I would switch from Overcast, which I was extremely happy with. So it was just a kind of a curiosity thing. I I try apps sometimes, and then when somebody says, is it accessible, I can tell them. But I was immediately blown away with the whole user interface, the paradigm of Castro. It won me over almost instantly. And if you really know and like a podcast app well, any app for that matter, something's got to really make you go, dude, to switch. Because you're happy. You've got your podcast set up. You know, Castro did that for me. It was just such a superior experience in podcasting to anything else that I've ever used that I was just instantly taken. Now, on the other hand, uh, RSS Radio is very powerful, and I suspect if I took the time, I could customize it to my liking. It's got lots of settings, and so for the geek, especially audio geeks who like things like different types of compression and equalization, it sounds like a really good app. But one thing that put me off immediately was that I did manage to import my OPML file. This is the file I talked about in episode 18 of Mosin at Large, where you can 
take your podcasts and migrate them all in one amazing block from one podcast app to another. So I did import my OPML file with all my podcasts into iOS, RSS Radio. And the moment I did that, I got bombarded with my phone vibrating like a nit and speaking and carrying on telling me that it was downloading these episodes from all my podcasts. And I subscribed to a lot of podcasts and it was just insane. I mean, the, 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 the phone was vibrating and binging and carrying on. So my first user experience of it was not favorable. And so when you have an app that you really like, you immediately think, eh, I'm not going to bother with this. You know, maybe I can configure it, but I don't see the incentive to. Still, it's nice to know there are so many accessible podcast options. And with RSS Radio, you certainly have another. So thank you for drawing it to our attention. And in the podcast, I will put a link to RSS Radio in the show notes. I did note that it does also have chapter support. Although from what I can gather, it doesn't have that unique chapter support that Castro has where you can actually line up which chapters of a podcast you want to play and skip the ones that you don't automatically, sort of like a a playlist of chapters, which is wonderful. I see in podcast app news that Overcast has come out with an update this week with a brand new rewritten voice boost feature. It sounds great. And they've also taken a leaf from Castro's book. They now allow you to skip intros of podcasts. And with Overcast, you can skip outros as well, which you can't do with Castro. Castro is coming out with an update shortly, which takes advantage of their sideloading feature, which I mentioned in my review of Castro, where you can take videos, convert them to audio and listen to them right from within Castro, which is an amazing feature. I recently downloaded uh, some material in MP3 and I was just able to copy it into the folder on my computer. It magically appeared in Castro and I was able to speed it up and play it and it was fantastic. But with the next version of Castro that's coming out, you'll be able to go into the YouTube app, find a YouTube video and it might be, you know, a very long thing and go into your share sheet and sideload the audio of the YouTube video right into Castro. That is going to be just another killer feature that this amazing podcast app offers. Good to have the choice, eh? To Norway we go and we say hello to Tone Matheson who says, hello, Jonathan. So she's still in the EU. That's all. Wonderful to have you back. Nice to know you had an excellent break. Yes, Eclipse and Bonnie are here waiting for their turn and Eclipse is very squeaky. I have put on an alarm on my Sonos system, so it automatically turns on your show each Saturday at the right time. And a smiley face there. Great, so I don't have an accident and forget to listen to the show. Yesterday, I was doing dishes and suddenly you were on. (laughs) Thank you for a great show as always. Thank you, Tone. And speaking of Sonos alarms, thanks to the Reddit Sonos subgroup, I discovered an app called Sonos Sequencer. Again, I will put a linky link to this in the show notes. One of the great flaws of the Sonos alarm system is that you can tell it either to respect or not respect the grouping of rooms in an alarm. In other words, if I have an alarm on the master bedroom Sonos, which we do, set to go off, At a particular time every weekday morning to turn on our favorite news show, it will, 
And we have the setting on that respects groups. So that means if I remember to group all the rooms that we want on in the morning, like the bathroom and the living room and the dining room, then they will all come on thanks to this alarm. But you can't expressly tell an alarm to play in multiple rooms. To me, it's just such a fundamental, obvious feature. It's a shortcoming of Sonos. So somebody told me about this Sonos sequencer app. And it is a Sonos geek's dream. It is accessible. It might not be comprehensible, (laughs) but that's a completely different thing. You can do all sorts of things with the Sonos Sequencer app. You can do things with IFTTT. You can set volumes on specific players. You can group players with a single command. You can ungroup players with a single command. You can even create stereo pairs out of players that normally aren't meant to stereo pair. Like, for example a Sonos one and a Play one, which are identical really in terms of their speaker, but you can't group them as a stereo pair, but you can with this app. And if you get the in-app purchase, you can also group players and do other functions on a timer. So now what I do is, without impunity, um, play with our Sonos system, you know, listen to things whenever we want when we get home in the evening, mindful that just before the alarm goes off in the morning, we now have a Sonos sequence that will group all the players that we want to uh, have on this alarm. It groups them at 6 a.m. just before the alarm goes off. And then we know that it's going to magically appear on all the Sonos systems. It's extraordinary that you need a third-party app to do such a basic function, but it does work. And I was struggling with how on earth you get it to do this. I knew it could, but I couldn't work out how. So then I found a Sonos sequencer uh, Reddit subreddit thing, and um, the developer was very helpful and gave me detailed step-by-step instructions about how to do it. Mosin at Large Podcast. And now the moment we've all been waiting for. It's the incredible Bonnie Mosin with the incredible Bonnie Bolletta. Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, wherever you are. What's the tea today? Three mint. Three mint. Mm-hmm. Sounds very nice, mint. Yeah. Hmm, I have to have very a little... minty, minty smell. Minty, minty. Have a little sample. So people are quite captivated by Castro. Yeah. And uh, you listened to the Castro review in episode mm-hmm. 18. Uh-huh. And then you decided to give it a go. So what's your sort of you know, less techie review of um, Castro? I like the fact that it gets all in the inbox and that you can clear it out. I, I like that a lot. It's very user-friendly. And a friend of mine, Christina... Hi, Christina. May or may not be listening. Oh, um, why not? Shared it with her class that she teaches, and um, so she's going to download it. So that. So uh, I understand she actually played it to the class. She did that play she it teaches. to the class. Yeah. What a thing! So you go to a class to learn about technology, mm-hmm. and then she sits everybody down and says, "No, I just want you to sit here and listen to this podcast from a blind dude in New Zealand." Yeah, Click. she said they were quiet. So either they were they probably s- not at sleeping all. or whatever. But, <laughs> but I mean, it's the same if you go to a, a lecture and they make you watch a documentary. When you were a kid, mm-hmm. did you have it where they, I don't know whether this is a New Zealand thing or, or, or a multinational thing, and they used to have the teacher who have a roll, wheel in on yes. this cart, the projector. And then they'd set up the projector. Oh, it was films time. We used to sort of, on the one hand, we looked forward to films time. But on the other, we thought, these films are naff. And then they'd have all these old films like, I am Joe's stomach. (laughs) (laughs) And and they were awfully produced when you think about it. I liked them because I was always very interested in that. I wish I could kind of find some of them. And then sometimes the the, the films had deteriorated (laughs) over time. So you get a sort of flutter. 
Yeah. And we would always sit on the floor. So there was an. Did you have trouble seeing the projector if you're on the floor? No. They had this like long thing they rolled down from the ceiling. Wow. Projected onto this sheet or screen or whatever it was. And the girls would always, oh, let me play. Can I play with your hair? And so they'd all play with each other's hair during the. What was on earth? Wow. <laughs> now, you are a Facebook aficionado. Mm-hmm. And so here's an interesting uh, email. I thought I'd just slip into your section of the show. You might have some thoughts on this. It's from Henry Miller. Please, may I share with you the following? Well, when you're so polite, how can I possibly refuse? I have an iPhone tenner mm-hmm. and it's running the latest build of iOS and wonder if you could offer me some advice on a problem I have encountered trying to familiarize myself with the Facebook app with the help of a sighted friend. I want to present all my posts on my news feed in chronological order. Mm, yeah. And Facebook calls this recent events. This is one of the things I can't stand about Facebook and the official Twitter app. They have these smart algorithms that want to mess you around anyway he says there is a menu tab at the bottom of the Mm -hmm. facebook homepage, and when this is selected there is a setting to choose how to display messages when voiceover is turned off this setting is visible but when voiceover is on vo doesn't announce this icon in addition on the group page which I am subscribed to, there is a default setting set to top posts sort. When voiceovers on, I can't change this setting by double tapping to choose recent events. However, when voiceover is off, my sighted friend can change this setting. I have written to the accessibility team at Apple, and they told me that uh, it's the app developers I should be contacting. Well, that that is fair enough, actually, to resolve this issue. Consequently, Quincy Contley, I submitted a completed feedback form for Facebook accessibility and assistive technology via the Facebook website on January the 21st, 2020. But to date, I've received no response. Now, there is a follow-up from Henry Following on from my initial email requesting your help, I am pleased to say that I managed to find the setting in the Facebook menu to present the news feed in a chronological order. Cool. The setting to change to recent events was hidden away in the shortcuts sub-menu. However, I still cannot change the sort settings within the group's menu to recent events. Although VoiceOver will announce the setting... Changing the setting will not respond to a double tap. Has anybody else um, got the answer to this in Facebook groups? I don't. What else is happening in your world? Uh, Well, I got up early for the seeing eye graduate call. Hey, they got a new chief executive. They have a new CEO. How's that going? He's going well. It's his. He's been there a hundred days. Oh yeah, his first hundred days. So maybe he'll I'm pretty it. sure that was something that FDR started, started. wasn't it? Yeah. The whole 100 days mm-hmm. thing. Was there a president before FDR who was fixated with the 100 days thing? Not that I, I know so. of. Yeah. But, yeah, it's mm. his, he, um, he's still learning, he says, and uh, taking advice. And you never this, stop learning. You never stop you never learning. Stop taking listening advice. Listening to people. Yeah. And, uh, no, he did very well. He um, seems like a really nice guy, kind of soft-spoken uh, he said that someone asked about Crosby and Nash, who are the resident cats, 
And um, I feel interesting that they skipped stills. That's free. Someone asked about that today, and they said, "Oh, stills never shows up or something." <laughs> but anyway, he he said that Crosby and Nash were his bosses because they kind of boss everyone around. And um, but no, it was uh, Glenn Hoagland is the new CEO's name, mm-hmm. and Dave Johnson, director of training, and Melissa Allman, who is government relations person. So there was right. a lot of discussion about the DOT. Uh, regs, uh, so a lot of discussion around that. So, are people in, generally in favor? I haven't really kept up with this one. Are they generally in favor of what's going on? I, I know they're really they're, clamping down on an emotional nervous. support animals. They aren't are they? nervous about it because there's a lot in a, a, a few unknowns in it, and that's why some people, when these things come out, they think it's gospel, but it's just it has a sixty day comment period, right? Um, there is some discussion whether ser- they're wanting to kind of pare down the definition of a service animal is a tasked trained animal, whether it be a guide dog or seizure alert dog, something like that, that actually does something. And there is a lot of worry about they're, they're wanting people to show up an hour. There's some concern because in the, the, the proposed regulation, they're wanting people to show up an hour earlier than check-in. Really? So that you can go into like a holding area. Oh, no. For some trained person from the airlines to fill out paperwork and, and observe your animal. The flight crew kind of has the last word whether if an animal's misbehaving, they can kick it off. Which Does it apply to guide dog handlers? It applies to service animals. So including service. guide yes. dogs? Yes. My so there's goodness. a lot in it. Yeah. And... It it really makes me angry because these are laws that guide dog users, whether you came from this, well, the seeing eye, of course, let's just face it, it's the oldest school. No other school would be in existence if it weren't for the seeing eye. But these are rights that guide dog users over the years, no matter what school they came from, have fought for. Mm. Other people have coattailed onto them, and they're the ones that, in my opinion, have made it terrible for us. Yeah, this is the frustrating thing when you really when you really me. set very high standards yes. and of course in the case of guide dog schools you've got the International Guide Dog mm-hmm. Federation where all the schools are audited for quality and yes. and it is a it's a right but it's also a responsibility exactly. to make sure that these dog schools are churning out animals that are well behaved mm-hmm. and and all of that. But I you know in general the guide dog industry is in pretty good shape. And so then what happens is of course other people come along. It's like the little red hen story. Did you have that mm-hmm. story? People bake the bread they create all this stuff and then other people just want to come along when all that bread baking is done and, and eat, eat it. it. Yeah. yeah. And and it's like this with these other animals where the quality control is all over the place. Uh, I had this experience when I was working in government relations sort of 25 years ago. There were a few other people who said, well, if blind people have all these rights and privileges re- relating to dogs, why can't we bring our dogs in the same places? It's discriminatory. And, you know, I had to go to the government and say, I've got no problem with that as long as the same standards mm-hmm. are being adhered to. Otherwise, the whole industry suffers. And guide dogs should be held to the same thing as behavior, you know, the same behavior. If a guide dog is misbehaving in a public place, of course, it should be kicked out. They're not all perfect. Doesn't matter what school they came from. But it makes me mad because and, and I'm not I'm trying not to diss other service animals because they do perform a task. And again, if it's standardized, if the quality controls there, I have no problem with it. I have no problem with a pet being on a plane. There used to be a time when you could put them on your lap and carry them if they're under control. And I think the bottom line is here, control. And a lot of these animals are not under control. 
Not. So once we get to the RPR, what is it mm-hmm. called? No, RPM. NPRM, the Notice NPRM. of Proposed Rulemaking. Mm-hmm. Is it pretty much a fait accompli or do people think that they might be able to influence the outcomes? I don't know. Airlines are weird. You know, they're, well, they're, we know this, don't yeah, we? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're <laughs> almost a law unto themselves. And I understand where crews – there have been flight attendants that have been attacked and bitten, you know, and I understand their concern. But they're also talking about where dogs can sit on planes that they have to fit either in your lap or in your foot space. And they cannot encroach on another passenger, which it's very hard not to encroach on another passenger, period, whether you have a dog or not, because the planes are so small. Now, yeah, so- And that's interesting because here in New Zealand, they've got into this habit now of allocating the dog an extra seat, you know, seats yeah. of their own. So there's a difference. And they are talking about the airline can try to reseat you if they can or ask the passenger, ask someone who doesn't mind sitting next to the dog or the animal. But issue with that is they overbook airlines yeah. for like 5,500 people. And then they offer you all these And then goodies. they offer, yeah. yeah and yeah. and it, it, it's just a lot of it's extra work. I mean, let's just face it, flying's no fun anymore anyway. Mm. But it'll be, mm. interesting. It be interesting. It's and they they are trying to pare down this definition that it has to be a dog because it's gotten out of control with people and their peacocks. Their turkeys, what about the guide horses? You're and the horses. The well, they're horses. not going to allow miniature horses on mm. board now, which mm. I think is okay. I mean, yeah, all horse? these naysayers and. Nay, nay. <laughs> And you will maybe ha- – and some of it I kind of laugh at because I do naturally anyway. If I'm in the U.S., I have all this documentation. But they're wanting health documentation. They're wanting behavioral documentation. They want – if a dog is on a flight over eight hours, the airline has the right to, to ask or to fill out a form that the dog can hold itself or at least relieve itself in a sanitary way. It's It'll be interesting to see. But that was, that was a major component of um, – what they talked about today, which I think is a very important topic to have, a very important, and it's certainly making the rounds of, of all the guide dog lists and, I'm sure. and stuff. So it's, yeah, so guys, go read it, submit your comments, talk to your schools, because this is a situation where schools need to also advocate as well as consumer groups and individuals. Last week, we posed the deep and meaningful question, would you leave home without your wallet now in this era of Apple Pay? Brian Gaff says, hi, Jonathan. The problem that I see is that wallets don't need batteries to be charged, do they? Nope. The thing is, Brian, what happens if your wallet splits or disintegrates? And I've got a story to tell, no doubt with little intervention from Bonnie, because a couple of weeks ago we were enjoying our final weekend before I went back to work. Bonnie went back to work a week earlier than me. And I woke up on a Sunday morning. Normally it would be Mosin explosion time. And I sort of woke up and yawned and thought, oh, no show today. I kind of miss it. And then I reached out and I put my hearing aids in my little ear, as I do, so I can hear Bonnie. Unless I think she's going to ask me to take the recycling out and then I don't put them in. So I don't hear her asking me to take the recycling out. (laughs) So I put the hearing aids in and my hearing aid, the tube between the hearing aid and the mold, because for various reasons, I, I still have to use that that kind of infrastructure for the functionality I need, disintegrated. And my hearing aid would no longer connect to the mold, which basically rendered it useless. 
And I was in a little bit of a panic about this. It was also a long weekend in Wellington. So I called the accident and emergency after hours place. This is not the hospital. This is just the doctor that you can go to. Urgent the hours, care. Yeah, urgent care thing, yeah. And I explained the situation. They were very empathetic. And they said, gosh, that does sound serious. And I explained, look, I'm, I'm blind. And so sort of going around on one ear, uh, and, and it's pretty difficult for me when I don't have the hearing aids. You know, I don't, they're not just a nice thing to have. So I explained this, and they were very empathetic. And they said, the only thing we can suggest that you do is contact the hospital. Maybe they have an audiologist on call for uh, urgent situations where they need to review someone's hearing or whatever, and they can do it. And I said, it's a really simple job. You can even go into the reception desk of an audiology clinic. And quite often, the receptionists are trained to do this you know it doesn't require particularly specialist knowledge but you do need the tubing which we don't have so i called the hospital and they refused to put me through to anybody they said well if, if you really need to come in you'll have to come in because we are under strict instructions not to put you to put people through to anybody you know medical and so i tried to explain the situation i just want to know is anyone on call who's likely to be able to help me and they just wouldn't answer the question i called this service called healthline and they were very concerned and they said why don't you call the hospital so i called the hospital back and i said healthline told me i had to speak to somebody and they said no sorry so and it was a long weekend there were no audiologists open in shopping malls or anything like that and um, i even thought why don't we go to auckland that would be fun we can have a little since it's a long weekend uh, but only in Wellington. So Auckland mm. was all still open, but Wellington was not. So I thought we could go and have a nice lunch and head on into a friendly neighborhood audiologist. But all the flights to Auckland were booked. So in the end, Heidi came over and sort of sticky taped it together. It was literally being held together by tape. And the audio was terrible, but at least I had some audio. <laughs> so you can actually buy the tubing and sort of do it. I don't think I could do it myself, but I think I could get Heidi to do it. So the point I'm making with the story, Brian, inserting it, is that, sure, your battery may well go flat, but I've got an iPhone 11 Pro Max. The battery life on this thing is insane. And I've got an Apple Watch. So the chances of those two things failing are very remote. You know, your wallet could easily disintegrate or be taken off you or any number of things. So I'm not sure I buy that argument, Brian. I mean, I, I always carry a- my wallet just because I have other stuff in it. What like? My one card, my 18 plus card, seeing my ID just in case I need to show it to some airline somewhere. Um, (laughs) My New Zealand guide dog ID just in case I need to show it to somebody. Um, So you wouldn't leave your wallet at home? I probably would. I mean, I always have my purse with me anyway because my phone's in it. So no. That is a device of wonderment. What, my purse? Yeah. I mean, you know, you've got like ballistic missiles in there. I do. You've, I mean, I do. It, it I have just my anti aircraft. It me what you can accommodate. put in that purse. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like the queen. I carry these big purses. I have everything in there. It's, it's incredible. Scary. You know, I mean, I can be out and I think, um, oh, I wish we had a Sonos Play 5. Here, my you purse. Know, and you pull out. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. We've got a series of real blind luminaries listening to the show. Does, oh. does that make you nervous? No, because I probably know them. Who are they? Well, for example, here's Don Barrett. If you have time on the show, would love to hear you and others' opinions about which is the best audio-based typing instructor. Fun with typeability from Vespero. I think it's done by Yes Accessible, actually, Don. That's David Pinto, although Freedom promotes it pretty aggressively. Or Talking Typing Tutor. 
was it talk, talk, Talking Typer from APH. I'm told that fun with typeability is really for children and that adults get annoyed with its childishness. Mm. However, I'm also told that Talking Typer has bugs in it oh, that make it not work correctly some of the time. I'm training a wonderful older gentleman on learning to type with a screen reader and want him to have the best available option. What say you, oh wise one? Oh, no pressure, Don. <laughs> as far as I recall, typeability does have an option where you can kind of make it less kind of kidsy. It's still a, a little this bit fun. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with fun at any age, is there? Yeah. Uh, but you can take away some of the more sort of childish things from it. It works well. I've not experienced the APH product at all, so... Maybe other people can comment on how that works for them. So, yeah, typing tutors. Let's let's hear from you. Also, speaking of blind luminaries, Steve Catway says, I was browsing the Microsoft Edge extensions store and came across this extension that I thought you and Bonnie might find fun. And it's called Detrumpify. And what it does when you install it, it uh, replaces any reference to President Trump with something else. And apparently you can specify its degree of snarkiness and rudeness. And I miss the Trump clock. We've got that skill, haven't we? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, the Trump clock was just one of a bunch of clocks. That was mm -hmm. one that Grace recommended. And while we're going through emails from blind luminaries, who have we got here but Judith M. Dixon? Ooh. Anyway, Judy. Hi, Judy. It's lovely to have you listening. She says, hello, Jonathan. I What? I think she sent this to the wrong person, actually, Bonnie. What she, 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 she says, I really do enjoy your rants. What rants? I never rant. Do you think she's got the wrong address? No. Well, what? What? This is preposterous. I really do enjoy your rants, says Judy. I am listening to you discussing the decade issue. And, of course, I agree with you completely. Although I do confess that I enjoyed my time in New Zealand over Christmas and New Year of 1999 and 2000. Ooh. But that was really about Y2K. And I wonder if that is part of the reason that people started getting confused Maybe. about all this end of decade Maybe. stuff. I, I do think oh, I'm being castigated by Judy Dixon. It doesn't get much worse than this. I, I do think, though, that it is the best honor we can do Braille to not capitalize it. That's interesting. I wish you would expand on this, Judy. She says it's uh, lovely to disagree on things that are not facts, but facts do matter. Here's one from Aaron John Dizon. I hope I've pronounced your name correctly, Aaron. I apologize if I haven't. Who says, hi there, Jonathan. This is Aaron from the Philippines. Hey! Nice to have you tuned in from the Philippines. He says, this is my first email to you since you exploded me when I messaged on Twitter. I am really enjoying the Mosin Explosion Show from my Bose SoundLink Mini 2 Special Edition. Wow, what's good about the Special Edition? How I wish the Mosin Explosion was on every day. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, you, 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 we do have the smorgasbord on Mushroom yeah, FM yeah. Monday to Friday. By listening to you, I get to know current technology, latest news, health-related things, and so much more. You should be my agent, Aaron. Yeah. 
I would like to ask about good sources of news when it comes to tech and accessibility. I would like to know how I would be able to read them every day when I open my browser at work. Whoa, aren't you doing real work, Aaron? I'm using Google Chrome. Do I need to install some extensions to make it easier? He also says, please greet my very loving partner in life, Anne. Oh, hello, Anne. Hello, Anne. More power to you in the show and happy last year of the decade to all of us. Thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, my answer to that would be an RSS reader. Are you using Larry still, Bonnie? No, I haven't used it lately, no. No, oh, you're bored mm. with Larry. No, I just haven't had a need for it because I, I don't, I'm not a reporter anymore, so I don't need to. Yeah. Well, I use a thing called Larry, L I R E, but there are quite a few in this category. And what an, what an RSS reader does. It allows you to subscribe to feeds. They're basically XML data, and many news websites and blogs generate these feeds, and you subscribe to them. Usually, it's a good idea to use some sort of central way of subscribing, because when you use a cloud-based service, it means that you can often find RSS that works on multiple platforms, like your iPhone and your PC. And I haven't found a really good Windows RSS reader, unfortunately, uh, that works with cloud-based services. So I use Lyri. It's a great app, very accessible, very powerful. And then I use a thing called the old reader, which is my RSS aggregator. From there, I subscribe to all my tech news. And it means that in the morning, I open up the Lyri app and tech news and political news and other news, health news from a range of sources are all available in the one place. Uh, if you don't want to go to that kind of trouble, there are news apps. Apple News is only available in a very small number of markets, but there is the Microsoft News app and the Google News app. And over time, they do learn what you're interested in. You can in. set up searches in Apple News. Oh, you've got, your, you've got Apple News because you have your region set to the US, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. But you can also set up for certain topics that you're interested in. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. years ago I used to have guide dogs set up. For every, every, anytime there was guide dogs or seeing eye dogs mentioned, it would come up when I was working in PR. Yeah. So um, if you're interested in going the RSS route, there's there's Larry. There's, there are a few other ones, but I've always enjoyed uh, Larry. It's, it's a really good app. I used to use another one called, um, I can't even remember what it was, Feedler. Feedler, I think. Yeah. yeah. That was good too, but I like Larry better. It's just like mm -hmm. how I switched from Overcast to Castro. I can't remember. This. Something really encouraged me to switch. I think it was that I was doing a lot of flying, and Larry has a really great feature where you can download all your news before you jump on a plane. You can put your phone in airplane mode and read all your news. Really cool. Now, Andy's responded to Don's question. Some other options. APH's talking, typing teacher. I think that's the one that Don was talking about. Talking Typing Teacher from Marvelsoft.com. And he says that's his personal favorite. It's used at various blindness training centers. And Typing Club, which is also used now in lots of places, it's web-based. Here's Sean. He says, when I taught technology, I preferred Talking Typing Teacher for its realistic sentences once one has learned typing well. Typeability will drill the location of keys into the skull, which is fine. But if someone really needs WPM and accuracy scores, it doesn't offer these 
with actual sentences last I saw. It's been a while since I've looked, but I thought that they did have those le- those exercises you could do, but I could be wrong about that. He continues, APH's talking typer has lessons that are old-fashioned and not nearly as realistic as talking typing teacher. There you go. Thank you. So that's talking, is that the Marvelsoft one, talking typing teacher? We are getting close to the release of what people think is going to be the iPhone 9. Does this excite you? Because apparently the iPhone 9, some say, is going to have Touch ID. That'll be interesting. And some are also saying that along with the iPhone 9 announcements, you know, they're going back and filling in the gap. So we'll now have an iPhone number 9, number 9, number 9. As well as that, apparently the Apple tags are getting very close. This is Apple's alternative to Tile. And we don't know yet whether the WB1 chip, the new wideband chip in the 11 range of iPhones is going to be required or whether it'll just make these new Apple tags more reliable. But Tile is being prepared. You know, they're trying to be more innovative, get some new products out. But it does look like in this quarter, we may well finally see the alternative to Apple's Tile products that has been mooted for some time. We've seen little bits in the code from iOS 13. You're going to tell me about Mike Moore? Yes. Yeah, I know. I'm really sad about that. Yeah, we, We're just getting some breaking news coming through that Mike Moore, who is a former New Zealand Prime Minister, and he also was Director General of GAT at one point, of the of the World Trade Organization, in fact, uh, has died. He was only 71, no, right? He wasn't that old. He was a very young member of parliament. He was just 23 when he was elected and uh, lost his seat, but he came back, and he also had a major battle with cancer very early in his life as well. Is he the one that sang? Tom Renoui on the main trunk yeah. line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, did, he, he did do a version of that. He was prime minister for a very small number of days, like 30 days or something. They, they changed prime minister very late in the piece to try and save the election. It worked for Jacinda. It didn't work for Mike Moore. But I would interview him when he was leader of the opposition, when I was doing my full-time political work and one day got really frustrated with me because I was really drilling down and he said, and I was very young when I was doing that job, and he said, the trouble with you, Jonathan, is that you're far too cynical. You need to listen to some Joan Baez and have some dreams. (laughs) Good advice. Before we go, I want to recommend something a bit unusual for me. I got into Taylor Swift some years ago because my youngest daughter is totally besotted with Taylor Swift. She's a major Taylor Swift fan. She's seen Taylor Swift in concert. She loves everything Taylor Swift, and she has stuck with her through her transition from country to pop. And so I started listening to Taylor Swift because I wanted to kind of connect with my daughter. And to my surprise, I found she had a lot of depth. She has done a lot of cheesy pop songs that that chart, but, you know, the Beatles did cheesy pop songs that charted as well. You know, she seems to me to be a very savvy businesswoman and a genuinely gifted singer-songwriter. And there's a new documentary that is audio described on Netflix. It's just come out and it's called Miss Americana. And I watched this last night. And it, it was fascinating. It really covers her evolution 
as somebody who's been in the public eye from a very young age, someone who's sort of struggling to find her adult identity, some of it's very sad. People can be very cruel to celebrities and forget that there's another person uh, there who, who, who thinks and feels and hurts. But if you're interested in Taylor Swift and her story and the way she thinks and just how carefully she really thinks about her personal brand, that's what interests me. Well, hopefully we will get back together next week. If you would like to be in touch with the show, Jonathan, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. Or you can call the listener line in the United States. That's 864-60-MOSIN, 864-606-6736. Mosin.